Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, Arif Dean. Of course, we got Patrick Stedman controlling the uh, producing spot, but we're coming to you here after game two. Avs take a 2-0 series lead. Um, I guess there's a lot to get into, but I mean, I kind of wanted to start the podcast off talking about Pete DeBoer, right? I talked last podcast about how I just don't see eye to eye with him from a hockey standpoint. And then after last night's press conference, when the Avalanche worked hard and beat the Vegas Golden Knights in overtime and beat them straight up, I don't think there's any really argument there. Pete DeBoer decides to go to the media and kind of make excuses and whine like a little baby. And I am not happy with the way he's running himself. I mean, he's just kind of annoying the hell out of me. So, Arif, how are you doing? All right. So, Pete DeBoer, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. What a hell of a night yesterday at Ball Arena. Uh, Okay, so Pete DeBoer, he is one of the best coaches at pissing people off. Uh, I'm not going to get into a Jordan Bennington here. I promise you that. But Pete DeBoer does a really good job of trying to take the focus away from the players and making it about himself to take the pressure away from the players. We've seen coaches that do this during series. And then we've seen the good guys like Jared Bednar, the guy on the Avalanche side, who's just like, whatever, I'll let the guys on the ice take care of what they need to take care of. I don't need to take the pressure off of them. They're good. They're good players. So... Pete DeBoer has been the man of many words. He does this every series. He always has a bunch of golden quotes. One of my favorites was before the game, somebody asked him, hey, what is the reason why all the Avalanche stars are clicking and scoring all these points? He goes, well, it's because they got like seven of them. Just a beautiful quote. So he he's always doing all these kinds of things and and uh, has all these quotes. And, and this one was the worst of them all. Because he not only said that Miko Rantanen's call was a weak call, the one against Rantanen, where he the stick was slashed out of his hand. He went on to say that the Avalanche were doing that all night. They were embellishing. They were holding their face. They were doing all the things that someone embellishing calls would do, which was just complete crap. And and I agree with you. It was stupid. It did sound really whiny. Maybe there's a method to his madness. Maybe like we saw in round one, Pete DeBoer, uh, sorry, not Pete DeBoer, but the guy in uh, St. Louis uh, Craig Berube and Rod Brindamore everybody that complained about the refs ended up getting calls. So maybe that's what he's doing heading into the fortress in a, in front of a sold out crowd in Vegas. Or maybe he's just whining because the Avalanche are a better team. And even in a game where the Golden Knights outshoot them two to one, the Avalanche come away with a victory. That's my five minute long answer of agreeing with you of saying Pete DeBoer, yes, 100% is whining. That's an interesting thought. You're saying that there's a chance that maybe he's going more of a WWE route, Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, of just more a bit of a showmanship. Let's take the spotlight off the players and and put it on me. It's absolutely what he does. He's been doing it since his days in San Jose, since his days with the Panthers, since he was with the Devils. Uh, The guy's been around, and everywhere he goes, that's what he does. And that's why I said he's one of the best coaches at pissing off people, because that's what he does. He goes into the series knowing that he's going to do these kind of things and say these kind of things. And of course, he's going to say that. And Paul Maurice does the same thing. Paul Maurice came out today and said, yeah, the hit against Jake Evans not even was like a, oh, it's a questionable, I feel bad for him. He just came out straight up and was like, yeah, that was a clean hit by Mark Shifley. We know what he's doing. 
Yeah, because I mean, I, I think anybody who follows the game of hockey understands that a slash is a slash, right? And that was the call on Miko Rantanen in overtime that ultimately decided the game. But you go in a, in a downward motion with your stick onto another player's stick, and that stick falls out of that player's hand. Doesn't matter how tight or strong he is holding it, it falls out, that's a slash. So I, I think that makes a little bit more sense to me. Here is why the call is a fine call. It is a good call because, again, we cannot as hockey fans have it both ways. We cannot sit there and complain and say, oh, the refs swallow their whistle in the playoffs. They should call it the same, whether it's game one of the regular season or overtime of game two of, a, of the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then when they do, we're like, oh, that's not a call you should make in overtime. In overtime, only tough calls should be called. You can't have it both ways. It's either a penalty or it's not. They're either going to call them or they're not. When Devon Taves was, I think it was Devon Taves, right, who got the penalty late in the third period, when that penalty was called against the Avalanche, it was Taves, I didn't think it was a bad call when Vegas had a power play with 321 left. But in my head, I was like, God dang it. They just missed a slash, I think, against Burakovsky. There was a trip on, like, McKinnon. They didn't call those, and now they're going to call this. If you're going to call the penalties against the Avalanche, call it against Vegas. Just make it consistent. So I was annoyed because they had missed calls. If that call was called on the Avalanche, I would have felt the same way. That is absolutely a penalty, but what a bummer because it's been inconsistent. That's just the way it goes. But Miko Ranton made a really good point. Did you hear what he said after the game? He said, why in the heck would I, in the defensive zone, drop my stick? Why would you try to sell that call knowing that in the playoffs with NHL referees, there's a 50-50 chance that you're going to get the call and a 50-50 chance that you just bit yourself in the ass, drop the stick, and Vegas is setting up in the offensive zone with a forward that has no stick. Why would he do that? And he even went on to say, I gripped the stick very tight and he still knocked it out of my hand. It's very... but." And this is Miko Rantanen, by the way, who has been fined twice in his NHL career for embellishment. He's going to risk it in an overtime game in the defensive zone by dropping his stick to be like, oh, <laughs> wink, wink, he slashed me. Why the hell would he do that? Yeah, I mean, going back to the Devon Taves penalty that you kind of used as an example, that was the same concept there, right? Sure, he didn't mean to put his foot and connect skates there, but he tripped him. And a trip is a trip, whether you mean to do it or not. It was the kind of the same principle there. And you felt like all game long with the referees, and I don't, you know, I don't want to ever... You know, it, it's a tough job, kind of like Nikola Jokic says. I don't know why anybody would want to do it. But you look at the referees in the first period, right? And Vegas had four penalties, and there were even times where you thought, you know, there were a few missed calls here and there. Then suddenly the calls just stopped. And I don't think that's because of a lack of intensity or anything different changed with the way the teams were playing the game. game. management, man. Right. I just think the refs decided to swallow their whistles a little bit more and let some stuff go. There were a few things that were obvious, like Devon Taves' penalty, like Miko, like the penalty on Miko Rantanen, that they have to call. So there, there was a sudden shift in the game, noticeable from the refs, that they stopped calling things so tightly and let things go. And those two calls that we're talking about at the end of the game were must calls. So yeah, and the Avalanche had that power play. If you remember, with nine minutes left in the third, that they did absolutely diddly squat with, almost let in a shorthanded goal, and then Tuck came out of the box and was robbed by Philip Grubauer. Yeah, my God, what a save! What a yeah, what a, night what he a had. save! But. Uh, I'll take it a step further. The fourth penalty in the first period called against the Golden Knights was a puck over glass. You know the refs, when that happened, they're like, damn it, we have to make it four to one. Like, you know they kind of want the calls to be a little more evened out. From that call until the third period, there was no calls against the Avalanche. I don't even think, or against Vegas, I don't even think the Avalanche had any calls against them, maybe one in the second. But 
yeah, it's game management by the referees. This is what they do, uh, which sucks. And the Avalanche did have one penalty in the second. It was Patrick Nemeth. But it's game management. That's what they do. And this is the exact type of thing that we're trying to, you know, fight for. And we're always complaining about on Twitter. And fans are always have their arms up in the air. Like, can we just call the game? But when they do call the game and when they do call the penalties, now we're going to say, oh, it's overtime. You can't call that. You absolutely should call that. It's a penalty. A penalty is a penalty, and that's what it is. And if you're Vegas, hey, you killed off so many power plays earlier in the game. Maybe have that clutch performance and kill one off in overtime. I like that point there uh, because the puck over the glass penalty, much like the other two penalties, are ones that are obvious. They're not really subjective in either direction. It's a penalty no matter what way you look at it. And so those are the penalties that were being called so if a slash in overtime is being called, I think you could definitely say it's a slash. I even saw some people on NHL Network trying to defend that it's not a slash and it was a bad call. But again, these are obvious calls. You know, it's black and white and there was no gray here. So I, I just don't understand what people are actually seeing in that. But hey, it worked out for the Avalanche, right? The uh, power play buzzing as, as usual, two for six last night. Um, a little lower than their 50% clip that we're used to, but I guess two for six is doable. Yeah, they're they're up to 40 point four percent in the series against vegas they've got 10 goals in two games they're doing pretty damn good yeah i mean uh i felt like that game was just kind of a must win for vegas i mean they they were in desperate need to kind of make a point from that game one embarrassment and say hey we are not that team we're a different team we're a better team they looked like the team we thought they were kind of like that nfl coach right they are who we thought they are um that's exactly what we saw from Vegas. They were fighting. They were they made it tough on the Avalanche. And even in the second period there, you saw, um, you know, you kind of got some bad feelings that Vegas was really taking that game over. Yeah, you kind of felt like they were going to do it. But here's the reality. And Philip Grubauer, I'm not taking away from what, he's, what he did yesterday. We are going to talk a lot about that today. But the Vegas Golden Knights cannot score. They just can't score. They are not good at scoring goals in the playoffs. And for whatever reason, this has been haunting them, like I said, for a few years, especially their last three to four series against the Canucks, against the Dallas Stars last year, against the Minnesota Wild, and now the Avalanche this year. I'm not going to take credit for this stat. This is a shout out to Peter McNabb, who said this on Sportsnet Radio this morning. Over their last 15 playoff games, the Avalanche have scored 72 goals. What does that average out to? 15, 30, 45, 60. That's almost five goals per game. The Vegas Golden Knights over their last 15 playoff games, 34 goals. They just barely score two goals per game. They can't score. Against the Minnesota Wild in seven games, I I forget what the number was, but I think it was 20 or less than, less than 20. But whatever the number was, the Golden Knights are struggling to score. They cannot finish. Max Pacioretty came into the lineup. That was supposed to be a big thing. Hasn't done much. Hey, JJ, I have a question for you. Where's Mark Stone been? Uh, he's out there. He's out there grinding away. So what's he doing? Isn't that their leader, their captain? And I'm not taking away from the game Mark Stone plays. Hell of a player. But he's been non-existent. He has been the equivalent of, let's throw a name out there, Andre Burakovsky. Here's the difference. Burakovsky is like the seventh most important forward on that team right now. Stone is like the second on Vegas, if not first. So the Golden Knights just can't finish. They can't score. And that's their biggest problem. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I wonder how that compares. Obviously, during the regular season, I'm sure they're scoring a lot more goals per game. But, I mean, we know that their strategy is defense, right? I mean, they've got a big husky defense that tries to play a physical game, and they just try to clog the middle. And, and it worked for a good amount of time last night. And you saw the top line 
held scoreless in regulation. Of course, Miko Rantanen scored the game winner. But other than that, it had to be Tyson Jost, Brandon Saad. Shout out Brandon Saad with the way he's playing, by the way. Um, but it, it was just interesting to see. You know, that's such a playoff way of winning a game. Just first game is done by the top line. And then second line, second game is really done by your goaltender and a couple guys on the third and fourth lines. Second and third, I guess. Man, I feel, just quick side note, I feel bad for Burakovsky and Donskoy because that line with Comfort is not working and they're missing Kadri. The problem is even when Kadri was in, he wasn't playing well enough to get that line going. So the Avalanche need Kadri to come back and be the Nazem Kadri we know he could be so that suddenly you have a Burakovsky-Donskoy-Kadri line to throw on top of the Joseph McKinnon line to have a third threat. I'm noticing his absence on PP1. I know the power play is succeeding, but in Donskoy playing Kadri's role... I don't feel like the players are trying to use Donskoy as much. It seems like they're passing around him, and he might touch it once on a power play, where I think Kadri makes a little more noise there. Mind you, Donskoy's been on that power play unit for about two, two and a half months. That just goes to show how slow Kadri's game has, how much Kadri's game has slowed down the last couple of months and how big of a slump he's in that Jared took him off the top power play unit. But I, I absolutely agree. He should be there. And you know damn well that whenever he does come back, which right now it looks like it's going to be in the Stanley Cup final because the Avalanche are just not going to play enough <laughs> games for him to serve his eight games. But um, it's it's getting to that point with not with Nas where you know when he gets back, he is going to be a fireball in a good way. Not in a, I'm going to go out and hit someone like Mark Shifley did yesterday and get suspended again. But in a, I want to be on on this. This team is good. I am finally on a good team. Everybody in Toronto is crying still because they lost again. I need to not screw this up, and I need to get in on this, and I need to do what I was doing last year. I want to circle back on the podcast that we had after Game 1 where we both kind of agreed that after that first goal that was scored by Mikko Rantanen, we both felt the game was over. Yesterday, I just had the exact opposite feeling, right? Obviously, great to get the first goal of the game. Huge in a playoff setting just to you know for, for the uh, momentum and the mindset of the team, but... I don't know. The, the first goal just didn't feel like it was over by any means. It felt like Mark andre was really going to still be in there and still make a lot of saves. He made some big ones in that first period, and during power plays, he's really the reason that the Avalanche weren't able to score, and it ended up paying off. And I could just... I feel like you can see the difference in what how, how important goaltending is and how important strong goaltending is. And I know looking at the numbers, Flurry didn't ex exactly have the highest save percentage and it wasn't a spectacular performance, but he was able to hold that power playoff in the first period, which ultimately ended up in his team equalizing at 1-1 on, on their own power play. So I think a lot of credit goes to Marc-Andre Fleury for keeping that a game early on in that first period. Yeah, absolutely. And the cool thing about uh, the game yesterday, like you said, I agree. I, I did not by any means feel like it was a game over like I did in game one. For starters, shout out to Brandon Saad for whiffing on the puck and letting it just <laughs> beat Flurry five hole. The changeup, yeah, the changeup was great. And like I said last episode when we did record, it's it was very important for the Avalanche to get one on Flurry quick. And the fact that they scored two in the first twenty minutes, in my mind, after that first period, it was win or lose. This is good because Mark Andre Flurry, the Avalanche have been shut out twice over their last one hundred and three games. Both times were to Marc-Andre Fleury. When that guy gets hot, he gets hot. If he came in after that game one showing and the Golden Knights shut out the Avalanche 2-0 and now they're going home with Marc-Andre Fleury having the confidence of knowing these guys can't beat me and the Avalanche suddenly worried because we can't score on this guy, he's going to get hot. He's going to go on a 3-4 game stretch where he allows two or three goals. The fact that you put two on him in the first period, win or lose, was going to be important. 
because as we saw, it was important because the third one didn't come until overtime. So it was good that they broke that dam early and uh, it was good that they showed that he is human and he is beatable. And and that's kind of the problem Vegas is having with Gruby right now. It's the exact thing that I was worried about the Avalanche would face with Flurry. It's what do we got to do to beat this guy? We've had breakaways. When we do beat him, the post makes the stop. Like, what can we do to beat Grubauer? Yeah, I would say that first goal was more than good. I would say it was critical. I mean, I know it wasn't the prettiest goal, but credit to Saad for getting the breakaway. We've seen him have some breakaway speed lately, which I, you know I didn't know he had in his repertoire, but I'm okay with it. Um, but yeah, I would say w- without breaking him early and getting that ugly kind of lucky goal, there was a good chance that they didn't score again until maybe I guess that that goal late in the first was a, a pretty good goal from Tyson Jost, right? But that was a power play as well. So man, he was so fired up. Yeah, I mean, that was a, an awesome goal. Where are these coming from? This Tyson Jost we're seeing is just getting better and better for the last 12 months. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it took a uh, a trade deadline of rumors of Tyson Jost being shipped out and then Vlad Nemesnikov being acquired and everybody talking about, okay, Tyson Jost is the 13th forward on the avalanche. I remember the bubble, the first day of the training camp for the bubble, July 20-whatever of 2020, which wasn't even a year ago, which is crazy. Uh, I remember back then... The very first practice that I went to at, at what was then Pepsi Center preparing for the bubble playoffs, I said, Tyson Jost is a 13th forward. And we went in there and Jared Bednar had the line combinations. And lo and behold, Tyson Jost was the, thir- was the 13th forward because Nichushkin and Nemesnikov were playing on that third line with Comfer. The fourth line had Nieto on it. Jost was nowhere to be seen. Now look where he is. Now look where he's gotten to. And now he's going to be protected in the expansion draft. He's an important part of this team. So shout out to him for that growth. Yeah, 100%. And again, I can't say enough how nice of a goal like that was. I mean, he was kind of sold to us as a skill forward, right? And you haven't really seen much skill. He's had to turn into more of a grinding guy. So to see that skill kind of come back and yeah. show glimpses here and there. Uh, yeah, he's still got it. Yeah. And not, not only does he still have it, you know, hopefully he can transform his game into being more of a combination of what he was supposed to be coming into the NHL and what he's turned himself into now, and he would be dangerous. Yeah, I think I've used this example before, but William Carlson on the Vegas Golden Knights was in Columbus playing on the third and fourth line with all this skill and all this ability that you know he can do it, but he just wasn't doing it. And then he gets to Vegas, scores 43 goals, and we're all just like, well, not we're all, but Columbus Blue Jacket fans are like, okay, well, where the hell was that? So for Tyson Jost to show enough for the Avalanche to know that this is someone they have to keep is big because if they had left him unprotected and then the Seattle Kraken come and pick him up and then next year Tyson Jost is a 20 goal 40 assist guy we're just like god you could have done that here he's not going to do that here maybe he will if he's a second line center permanently but it's good to see him growing it just takes longer for some guys he's still young yeah and to come back around on what we were talking about a second ago he's filling that second power play role for Nazem Kadri, right? So obviously filling a role in performing and, and taking over and doing what you need to do. I mean, you love you love to see it. I know I always say it, but you do love to see it, and especially from a guy like that. And disappearing to the slot like that right between the hash marks and getting open for that one-timer just it was awesome. It was a nice goal. Yeah, and there was a second where he uh, got into kind of a post-whistle scrum around the net, and he kind of got tossed and ragdolled, and you're like, oh, gosh, Tyson Jones, are you okay? Because... 
with the way people are getting tossed around nowadays, you know, you never know what can happen. But he was fine. Luckily, luckily he was fine. But, you know, he, he needs to find a way to not get tossed around so much. He's a small guy. It's going to happen. I mean, Gerard's a small guy too, but that guy doesn't get tossed around. It's really weird. He gets beat in like net front battles here and there every once in a while. We saw it in game one for the Vegas goal, but the guy can hold his own. He's a little tough little Frenchie. Water bug, right? Yes. I love that uh, nomenclature in hockey, the water bug. And I think Ger- Sam Gerard fits that perfectly. Nobody can catch him. Um, let's see. We got some more stuff to get into. Bef- before we do, I got to tell you guys about DraftKings Sportsbook, of course. It's not only my favorite sportsbook, but it's also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that's still in contention, like the Nuggets. Bet $1, and if that team, like the Nuggets, win you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice, like the Nuggets, to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code MHS for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers-only, wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Yeah, so that brings us to, I think, who stole the show, who stole the game, and somebody we've been pumping the tires of for a long time. Come on, Patrick, get in there with me. Groo. Groo. <laughs> there you have it, Patrick Stedman. Thanks for thanks for joining. Um, but yeah, you got Philip Grubauer just taking over, and and I mean, it was just the Philip Grubauer we've seen game in, game out, all season long, all playoff long. I'm not surprised. I'm sure you're not surprised. I'm sure the fans weren't surprised. But to have him steal a game when it kind of felt like he's had a pretty relaxed playoff so far, um, it's just good to see that he still has it and he's still there and he's still on his toes. And my favorite part about that, the Avalanche outshot 41 to 25, 32 to 14 after the first period, the Avalanche outshot, and he let in one goal. And uh, my favorite part about his game is, I mean, I know that GMs are the ones that vote on the Vezina, and that's why Grubauer was named a finalist for the Vezina, along with Fleury and Vasilevsky. But I usually like to kind of get like a gauge of where media is on awards uh, leading up to the award nominations being announced, and then obviously the award winner being announced. So just to give you an example, back in 2018, when it was Taylor Hall versus Nathan McKinnon, someone's going to win this Hart Trophy. Every podcast, every radio show, every NHL network segment, segment, NHL radio, and I listen to a lot of things and watch a lot of things. The general consensus was Nathan McKinnon was going to win it, and surprisingly, it ended up, it ended up being Taylor Hall. That was the only example of a time where the person I thought was going to win it based off of who people were talking about ended up losing. Now for the Vezina, and this is why I mentioned that GMs vote on this award, everybody that talks about the Vezina trophy, nobody says a damn word about Philip Gruvauer even being a finalist. It's, oh, Mike Smith did A, B, and C in uh, 
in Edmonton. He had a great resurgent year and, and Vasilevsky and Flurry and and Jack Campbell did what he did. And it's just a whole bunch of names that are not Philip Grubauer. Why? Because Philip Grubauer plays on the Avalanche. I mean, of course he can do that. Anybody can do that. But what we saw yesterday is no, not everybody can do that. I used this example last time. He is Corey Crawford. Crawford will never be the best goalie in the NHL. Well, he's retired now. He was never the best goalie in the NHL, but he was a vital cog in that Chicago machine for two of the Stanley Cups and for so many years. Philip Grubauer has proven to be that. The way he played yesterday said when this team, which is an amazing team that outshoots and outplays teams pretty much on a nightly basis, lays an egg, I'm still here to save you. I'm still here to take a game for you. And if it wasn't him in net, that would not have happened. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly the story from game two. Who Who is it that uh, nominates the goaltenders for the Vesna? I know the GMs vote. It's the GMs. The GMs vote. So the, the three nominations are based off of—so it's not real nominations. The nominations are basically the top three in points because it's a, it's a point system. Like if I had a vote for the Hart Trophy, my first place guy would get five points and then four, three, two, one, or whatever for the five guys— and then we'll add them all up at the end. And let's say Connor McDavid has 1,500 points. Brad Marchand has 1,300. And Austin Matthews has 1,400, which it's not going to be that close. McDavid's going to run away with it. Well, now the three nominations will be McDavid, Matthews, and Marchand, all the while knowing McDavid wins it. So it's not really a nomination. It's we know who the winner is. We're just going to give you the top three and then, you know, pick one on awards tonight. Ah, uh, okay. So okay, well, the, 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 the GMs voted on the goaltenders, and it ended up with Vasilevsky, Flurry, and Grubauer. One of them has already won. We just don't know who. Well, I guess that's that's where I'm surprised, right? I guess I'm not surprised that he's in the Vesna conversation because you've heard all podcasts all year long and even on the hockey show that I've been pumping the tires for him getting the Vesna. Um, I guess I'm just surprised that he was noticed, right? I, he didn't exactly, like you said, he was just there. He was solid. He was he was strong all year long and very consistent, but he never really had any huge moments. He never had any humongous games. He had a ton of shutouts, but nothing really flashy, nothing spectacular. He's, he had a few. He, I don't think he's going to be on the top 50 saves at all this year, though. You know what I mean? Because he was very just strong, very solid. I've talked about it so much, how he's sw he swallowed up so many pucks, and he hasn't had to really overexert himself at all this year. So I'm just... I'm just surprised that he got noticed and enough GMs voted him to at least be in the top three. Well, I think the biggest thing for him was the Hunter Miska story. No matter how good this team was, the difference between Grubauer and not Grubauer was vast. And it even got to the point where Gruby had that COVID thing going on in April. Dubnik came in and beat the, beat the St. Louis Blues and then beat them again. And then suddenly Dubnik himself is letting in three or four goals and then three or four goals again and then three. Or, and we're like, okay, yeah, so Grubauer is very important. And we saw it against Vegas when Dubnik had to play against the Golden Knights. He got shelled. I think it was 5-2. But then Grubauer comes back. The Avalanche play a terrible game on May 10th and they win 2-1 to one, and Grubauer stole that one, which led to them winning the President's Trophy, which led to them getting the St. Louis Blues, which led to them having home ice advantage in games one and two against Vegas. Those two games would not have been in Vegas if it wasn't for uh, Grubauer going to Vegas on May 10th and doing what he did that day. Yeah, and the third period was kind of where he made his magic, right? I mean, I think that's really where they made him work, and he really that's where he stole the game. And just having a guy that strong and having that kind of confidence when, like we mentioned earlier, the top line isn't necessarily producing sets 
sets them up to eventually produce and bury that overtime goal. So like I said earlier, how Mark andre Fleury really kind of held Vegas in there and allowed them to get that game to a 1-1 point. Grubauer obviously was the uh, star of the show and, and ma- allowed that Avalanche team to be able to fight through adversity because they were not getting many opportunities on Flurry and eventually got a power play and, and capitalized. And that's exactly what you need to do to win playoff hockey. And that's exactly what a team does that is and 6-0 in the playoffs. Yeah, the funny thing is when uh, when the third period started, Max Pacioretty had a breakaway and tried to go five hole. And I thought for sure he was going to score that one. And Gruby stopped him. And then there was that play, like I was talking about earlier, where Alex mm-hmm. Tuck came out of the penalty box, had an opportunity on the breakaway. Grubauer stopped him. Every single time he would make a stop, I would jot it down. The time of the save and the save. And I'm like, this is going to be the save that wins on the game. And then I got to a point where I just had a freaking half a page full of it. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know which one to lead with. Which one do I write about? I can't pick a save anymore. I just have to talk about his performance in general. So yeah, it's great that GMs have kind of taken notice to what he's doing. It's great that, and I think that Hunter Miska thing that was going on and Devin Dubnik's stats kind of helped with that. And it's actually funny to me that the GMs are the ones that, you know, get to pick the Vezina trophy. It's Brian Burke that has said this many, many times. He goes, I don't know why they let the general managers, obviously Burke used to be a GM and now he's back in hockey operations. I don't know why they let the GMs pick the Vezina trophy finalists. We don't know anything about goalies. We don't know how to draft them. We don't know how to develop them. We don't know what the hell we're doing with the goalies. It's the one position we suck at. And we're the ones that get to choose which one's the best. So he makes a good point. But the fact that they picked Grubauer in the finalist, which I don't know if he's going to win, probably not. But uh, it's it's refreshing to see that he was noticed. Yeah, that should really be a one that's voted by the peers, right? The rest of the goalies in the uh, NHL. It's like the uh, the Lady Bang, the Gentlemanly Player Award. You know, we we tell the media to pick it. So what does all media do? We all go and search who had the most points with the least amount of penalty minutes. So this year, Jacob Slavin's going to win it because he had a lot of points, played a lot of minutes, and had little penalty minutes. We saw Nathan McKinnon win it last year for that same reason. This year, he threw a helmet at Connor Garland. He's not going to win it anymore. Yeah. So even he thought it was a joke. Yeah. The whole thing was, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly when we when he had the the conference call, it was Matthews O'Reilly and uh, and McKinnon. Those were the three finalists. And I said, Hey, Ryan, uh, Nathan McKinnon is a finalist for this award with you. Uh, what do you feel about that? You used to play with him. He kind of laughed and went, Oh yeah, I didn't know McKinnon had what it, you know had it in him to be gentlemanly or whatever he said. Like he was chirping at his former teammate and friend, and. The players should be voting on that because who knows who's a general gentleman more than the players are like, wait, McKinnon's winning it. That guy just called me a dickhead in the second period the other day because <laughs> I like slashed him on the wrist or something. Like, what do you mean he's a gentleman? He's not a gentleman. Speaking of Nathan McKinnon, um, as we mentioned, kind of held pretty quiet in the game last night. He had an assist on that overtime winner. But, um, you know, Vegas was able to kind of shut him down and keep his uh, production at bay and keep him to a minimum. So I guess for game three, looking ahead at Vegas and uh, what's what's to come. Do you think Nathan McKinnon kind of has a, a more potent game like we saw in game one, or has Vegas kind of figured him out a little bit? I mean, has anybody really figured out Nathan McKinnon? He's been doing this for five years. I mean, yeah, you can shut him down for a game, maybe two games, maybe three. Can you shut him down for a whole series? You can, but it would be pretty impressive. So I think he's going to be a factor again. I don't know if he's going to come out mm. and score two goals and add an assist and continue the psycho run he's on where he's got 15 playoff goals over his last 13 or 14 playoff games. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but to shut him down this many, I mean, you like people always say, you never really shut down star players. You just kind of contain them for as long as you possibly can. So what Vegas did yesterday was they contained the stars 
for about 62 and a half minutes, and then they couldn't do it anymore. McCarr, McKinnon, Rantanen, shot, goal, game. So it's not about stopping them because they didn't stop them yesterday. They just contained them for as long as they could until they couldn't anymore. It's just interesting to me that every game we've seen between these two teams, it's either a low scoring three goal, you know, last night we saw a five goal game, or you're going to get nine, 10 goals. Yeah. It's either one or the other. So we'll see which of the two it ends up being, but I have a feeling it's going to be closer. And I feel like the rest of the series might be closer to the lower scoring. It's just going to be a grind. Right. Absolutely. Right. We're going to see a lot of what we saw in the second and third period of last night for the rest of the series, because teams have acclimated to each other a little bit more. And um, obviously they both want it and they know how hard it you have to fight to get it. So I expect, you know, a more of a what you would expect to see from a Boston New York series, the Islanders that is. Yeah. Let's take into account how exhausting that style of hockey is. That style of hockey where you play that grinding out kind of game, it really takes a toll on you. And the Avalanche are playing against a Vegas Golden Knights team that has played 9 playoff games already. Fun fact, the Golden Knights are 4 and 5 in the playoffs. They don't they don't even have a winning record. They were 4-3 and three against Minnesota, and they're 0-2 against Colorado. There's no overtime losses in the playoffs. They are 4-5. and five. They've played nine games over, I think, 18 days, maybe 19 days because there was those two days off after game one. They are tired. If you're Colorado, you are going back to Vegas for two games. Come back with one. If you get lucky and just win them, well, not lucky, but if you, if you get the job done and just win them both and then sweep your way through the second round, great. But come back to Colorado winning one of those two games with a three to one series lead. The Golden Knights will not have anything left in them to come back from game five, game six, and force a game seven. How weird is it gonna feel if slash when the Avalanche do lose a game, right? I wonder if Avalanche Twitter's gonna think the sky is falling again and everything's oh, for over. Sure. Absolutely. No, one hundred percent. You know that's gonna happen. But you know what, man? They just need one of these two games in Vegas. Like go one and one in Vegas. That's not the biggest ask in the world. Come back to Ball Arena Game 5, 7-1 in the playoffs and up 3-1 to one in the second round. You'll be feeling pretty damn good about yourself, especially considering the fact that you are playing the second-best team in the NHL by points in this weird regular season that was. And if you beat them, you either get Winnipeg or Montreal. So enjoy your ticket to the Stanley Cup Final. So, of course, the Avalanche won Game 2, but it, we feel like it was a little bit more of a stolen game, right? I wouldn't necessarily say they deserved it. Would you agree? To a point. I agree until to you said point. they didn't deserve. Yeah, the the deserve part at the end, I don't agree with. I, I don't agree with that. They did deserve it because they scored more goals and they 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 did what they needed to do to shut down Vegas. But yes, they were completely outplayed for a majority of the game. So I I hate to put this much pressure on a player's shoulders, but especially one that doesn't seem to be that big of a factor. But I think this team is playing with the way Ryan Graves plays. You know, this team goes the way Ryan Graves goes. If he has a couple, you know, blunders here in Vegas, then I think you're going to see Colorado pay for it. If he comes out with one of those games where he somehow gets on the score sheet and you don't see him make too many mistakes or turnovers, I think you're going to be sitting pretty. So it's weird to say that he is kind of the X factor, but I think the way he's got a huge responsibility on his shoulders. He plays a lot of minutes and he plays with some quality guys. So I think the way he plays is really going to be dependent on, or I guess the Avs are going to be dependent on the way he plays. The funny thing is, I mean, so yesterday he played 15-30s. It wasn't that grueling of a night for him. Granted, none of the defensemen outside of the top three played big minutes, but... I think he got some minutes cut for a while, too. Yeah, he did. And and uh, he, he didn't have the best game yesterday. He kept 
there was there was a couple giveaways. There was that one play, I think it was first shift of the second period or first shift of the third period. He goes into the corner to get the puck. Grubauer drops it for him. He slips, and Vegas goes on to have a minute and 45 seconds of offensive zone pressure until the puck was knocked out of play and, and the avalanche could breathe and change. It's weird. Right when you started saying that point about, you know, the avalanche go as this player goes, in my head I thought Ryan Graves. And it's a coincidence to me. When Ryan Graves has a great game, the Avalanche play great, but he is kind of like Patrick Nemeth. One game, you're like, this guy's amazing. The next game, you're like, this guy sucks. Reminds me of Nick Holden back in his, well, Nick Holden's on Vegas now, coincidentally. Reminds me of Nick Holden when he was with the Avalanche. So for whatever reason, yeah, I do agree with you. Yesterday, Ryan Graves was having a very choppy game, a lot of giveaways, a lot of turnovers. It was just weird. It was inconsistent. And then the whole team kind of took on that mantra and started playing the exact same way. And they were slipping and sliding all over the ice. They couldn't really stay on their feet. They kept wobbling the pucks. They kept making bad passes. The drop passes would go to nobody. Like it was just a weird game. And Graves was kind of like the main benefactor in that it was really odd. I really like what you just said there. I think it's a weird coincidence, but it's it's very much spot on. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate so, you. That being said... Um, you know, anything else you want to make sure to uh, look forward to or just keep an eye on and uh, keys to the game three going into Vegas for Colorado? Keep the foot on the pedal, score the first goal. The Golden Knights have not led in this series at all. Yeah, and it sounds like if you could bury three or four, you're in good shape, right? Yeah, and the, and the St. Louis Blues led for seven minutes in game four before the Avalanche tied it and then won it and then scored a bunch of goals and won five to two or whatever. The Avalanche just don't trail. They just don't do it. And and I I'm, I don't want to hear the, oh, they haven't faced any adversity yet when they face. No. Game two was adversity. That was very much adversity. Philip Grubauer had to stand on his head. They had to kill a penalty with 321 left. They had to get their bacon saved by a post once or twice. Or and then they times. had to come. Yeah, or three times. Exactly. And they had to come out in overtime and do something that they were kind of struggling with in the first period. And it was score a power play goal outside of the Tyson Jones one, obviously. They had to actually score that power play goal. I didn't think they were going to score on the power play. I thought the overtime was going to end in the first five minutes. I didn't know who was going to win it. But when the Avalanche got that power play, I'm like, man, they really need to do this here because if they don't, it's going to go back to a back and forth game and it's going to end quick. But they did it. And they did it with 30 seconds left. When do we ever see that? Usually they score early in the power play or not at all. So they did face adversity. But if you're the Avalanche, score first, keep the foot on the pedal. Keep leading, don't trail, and let Vegas doubt themselves into another loss because that's what they did yesterday. Yeah, and to bring a call back from the beginning of the podcast back, if Pete DeBoer's Vince McMahon-esque rant or no complaint, in hell. whining, whatever whatever you want to call it, if that has any effect and it goes the way he plans, then you can't expect to have six power play chances, right? So I think the Avalanche kind of have to expect to not get as many chances and perhaps have to survive a night without a power play goal. And if that's the case, obviously some other guys have to step up here and there during five-on-five. Five. You've got a hell of a five-on-five. Five. You can do it then too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can't always depend on it. There's there's going to be a game where they don't score. It, it might just be the next one. So um, last bit of news before we head into the three stars of the episode i guess it's not can't be the week because we already did three stars a couple days ago but the avalanche signed swedish forward andreas vingali is he a vinga is he a left wing or right wing i don't know he's actually a center (laughs) (laughs) 
But uh, anything, anything of no, anything we should know about uh, the signing? It doesn't really seem like too major of a signing. Probably more of an AHL Colorado Eagles thing. I mean, he's a small guy. He seems to score a few points here and there. But at five foot eight, one seventy, and he's twenty three, um, that doesn't strike me as an NHL body unless you're Rocco Grimaldi. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, just read what's on the public relations sheet that the Avalanche Communications had sent to us. Uh, one goal and two assists with a plus three rating in seven games in the World Championship with Sweden, which is kind of wrapping up right now. Canada just upset Russia in the, in the quarterfinals. Yeah, you go Canada. His first time participating in the tournament. Uh, he's played six years in the SHL. His second year, he just served as an assist, as an alternate captain. 28 points in 50 games, and then he added two goals in 12 playoff games. So the 28 points in 50 games, that's the best season he's had by far in his uh, Swedish Elite League uh, hockey career, or Swedish Hockey League, I should say now. It's it's the SHL now, not the SEL. Um, he's a depth guy. He's probably going to play with uh, the Eagles. He's going to play in Loveland, and maybe he'll get a sniff of a game or two. But how refreshing is it that when the Avalanche signed one of these guys, we're just like, oh, good, a depth guy. So we're not like, oh, it's the second coming of Joe Sackick. His name is Borna Rendelich and uh, Dennis Everberg and Andreas Martinson and all these guys that were like, please be our savior. Now we're just like, please just, you know, make sure you know the way to Loveland. Yeah. Help out our youngsters down there. Help them grow. Right. We- and if he ends up being anything, great. Yeah, exactly. I'm a little disappointed. You know, it's cool to see guys out of the IA. IIHF World Championships get into the NHL, but I'm disappointed that they didn't get any Kazakhstan players because Kazakhstan was my team. They were secretly just beating people left and right and and just being a good team. I'm disappointed that they got bounced out of the tournament and out of the uh, elimination round so early. I thought maybe they could make a run, but I'm excited to see if more Kazakh players uh, make it to the NHL. I have no idea how many, if any, are in the NHL right now, but I just liked that team. I liked watching them, and it's just one of those dark horse countries that you don't expect to see too many NHLers from. And I like Kazakhstan. So here's my second to uh, shout out Kazakhstan, the leader of potassium. I mean, I love when players come out of the IHF, the world championship tournament and uh, make a name for themselves to get to the NHL a few years. Well, not a few years ago. It's been like a friggin' decade now, but Jonas Holos, remember that guy, the guy that scored on himself once in overtime. That was great. <laughs> um, he was an avalanche draft pick, but he had a great world championship then there was this little kid on Austria, or sorry, Norway. His name was Mats Zuccarello Asen. It was a hyphenated last name. And everybody went, holy shit, this guy's good. The Rangers ended up signing him. He dropped the Asen part, and it was Matt Zuccarello. And look at him. He's still in Minnesota having a hell of a career. So sometimes these guys pan out. I'm not saying Vingerly is going to be the next Zuccarello, but that tournament sometimes you know develops and creates these players and, and brings them to the NHL and lets them have long-storied careers. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's funny, you know, I think back in the day, maybe five, six years ago, I was super into the IIHF World Championships, and I still am now, but it all stems from how we used to always have to watch the Avalanche players in it, right? I mean, I'll never forget Ryan O'Reilly, Nathan McKinnon, and Tyson Berry dancing to Kendrick Lamar after they won (laughs) one year, and, you know, that's where my love stems from. So it's also funny to still see Nikita Zadorov playing in it every year. Nikita Zadorov. And then uh, Gabe Landeskog that one year where he kept his equipment on and went and into a hot tub with like a bottle of Swedish God knows what and the and the IHF, the World Championship trophy and sat in his equipment in the hot tub celebrating a championship because the Avalanche sucked and were out by April 1st. 
Not anymore, though. Not anymore. So that brings us to our Mile High Sports three stars of the episode, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three, we're giving it to Sam Gerrard. I mean, just been quietly putting up points, quietly getting assists, making plays, moving that puck the way he knows how, and just doing the things we've seen him do all year. Obviously took a big leap somehow between uh, last season and this this season, and uh, we're, we're, we're just watching him blossom right in front of our eyes. Yep, he had a couple assists yesterday in that game. The Avalanche's defense has been in on eight of the ten goals against Vegas, uh, so that's another big number for you. Um and uh, he led the team in hits in game one somehow. He had another hit in game two. And he plays a lot of minutes. He plays on the PK. He plays on the PP. He plays with Taves. He plays with McCarr. He plays with Graves. He plays with uh, Nemeth. He plays with everybody. He does a great job. Shout out Sam Gerrard. Must all be because of that weird warm-up he does, right? He just gets focused. He gets in the zone. <laughs> He's just staring at something. It's not really much of a warm-up. It's just a, I'm just going to pretend I'm warming up, but I'm really just sitting there <laughs> staring mentally warming up more than I am physically warming up. Yep, absolutely. That brings us to star number two. We're giving it to Brandon Saad. We talked about how big that first goal was for the team last night, but he's on a goal streak of his own right now. Five straight games with a goal for Brandon Saad. The only two players in not just club history, but franchise history that have had longer goal streaks. Joe Sackick scored in seven straight games in 1996. Claude Lemieux scored in seven straight games in 1997. Those are the only two, or it might be flipped the other way around where Sackick was 97 and he was 96, but they both had seven game, seven goal, seven straight games with the goal streaks and uh, Brandon Saad's at five. We'll see if he can bring it to six or seven by whiffing on more pucks. Such a feel good story, right? I feel like a lot of people were disappointed, um, maybe not disappointed, just a little underwhelmed with what he brought in the off season or in the regular season. And then we knew that he was here to bring veteran experience, and that's exactly what he's providing. This is what he was brought in for. He was brought in for the playoffs. He's 28 years old, and this he's already played 88 regular season, or sorry, playoff games, which is a big number. And uh, yesterday I asked Jared Bednar what, you know, what he had, is this exactly what he had envisioned from him? Because all the talk around Brandon Saad when he was acquired was, hey, you're going to come in and you're going to be a playoff performer. And he said, yeah, this is the kind of player that he gets better as the season goes on and he steps up in big games. He did it with Chicago. He's done it again. He was so good at that that it, it Jonathan Taves' uh, uh, raving reviews about him is what made the Blackhawks stupidly trade Artemi Panarin to bring him back. It was, I want this guy for the playoffs. And then they lost in the first round and never made the playoffs after that. But uh, this is exactly what they had envisioned. But can I uh, interrupt you before we go to star number one? Are you going to steal it again? Hijack it? No, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you with something else, and we'll keep your first star this time. Okay, thanks. Winnipeg's Mark Shifley has been suspended four games for charging. Interesting, interesting. That is massive, and that's massive, and that matters because the winner of the Jets-Canadian series are going to play the Avalanche, and uh, the Habs have a one nothing series lead. And they don't have to play Shifley for the next four games. Yeah, Shifley's a difference maker. You know, it's different here with Ryan Reeves playing seven minutes a night. You know, maybe there's a little bit less of a physical presence, but that's an offensive presence that the Jets are missing without Shifley. Yes, and uh, that's going to be a massive blow. And we just might see an East versus West third round because it was looking like Winnipeg would win and it would be Winnipeg, Colorado. But how cool would a semifinal of Colorado versus Montreal be? It would be so weird. Um, it would be I, so damn weird. 
I my only fear of that is you know Montreal's not very good coming out of the north. We expected any team to come out of the north to just absolutely get walloped. So uh, you you might not have the Avalanche playing too sharply if they go and sweep uh, Canadians in three games. This team knows better than to do that than to sit there and 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 take a team lightly. They don't they don't do that. Not this year. Well, I guess that brings us to our first star of the week or of the episode, and that of course is Philip Grubauer for really being. The head man in charge went went in that game too, and uh, you know there was a second where he fell and it looked like he might have tweaked something and he laid face down on the ice and my heart literally sank because if that were to happen, the years over. Yeah, someone call up Patrick uh, Pavel Francis and see if he's healthy. Yep. See you later. So, yeah, that's the three stars of the week, of course, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. If you haven't downloaded them already, I don't know what you're doing, but. If you do it now, you're going to get some pretty sweet co- uh, promos. So jump on that stuff. Nuggets are about to play. So why not use that amazing promo code that they're working on right now? So that's all I have for this episode. Arif, of course, we're going to be back after game three to break that one down as we're breaking down all games in these playoffs. I guess we didn't do that for the first series, did we? No, but it's it's getting more serious now, so we may as well. Yeah, serious series. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Arif, you can go take a nap. I'm going to go watch the Nuggets. Everybody, thank you so much for hanging out with us and listening to this podcast. If you're a newer listener, I hope you're enjoying it. Stick around. We've been doing these forever. We'll keep doing these all offseason and, of course, next season. So we hope to have some future, uh, I guess, consistent listeners, right? Not just first-timers. Absolutely, and uh, keep reading all the fun stuff we do. The videos that we do are a lot of fun, and let's enjoy this ride that is the Avalanche's playoff run. Absolutely. Let's see what they can do on the road here. So if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. And we out you. Thanks for hanging out.